This is the I Make a Living podcast, brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. I'm your host, Demona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur who sometimes feels like the deck is stacked against me. As a former diversity executive in media, I created many pipeline programs that helped level the playing field and give access to those who had been shut out of traditional paths. And I saw firsthand how it improved the company from the inside out, increased revenue, and positioned us for future growth. But I couldn't do it alone. It required the support of people of all genders, ethnicities, and ranks within the company to enact change. And that's why I was so inspired by the journey of today's guest. Lisa Carmen Wang started her career at a young age as a USA national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast. She's the founder of SheWorks, a global platform and event series that aids female entrepreneurs to build and scale successful companies. SheWorks was acquired in 2019, leading her to start her latest venture. Now she's the CEO of The Glow, short for the Global League of Women, where her mission is to amplify female voices on multiple platforms. Here's Lisa on the core problem many female entrepreneurs face. When I was building SheWorks over the past five years, I was coaching women through the fundraising process, helping them learn how to negotiate, put their pitch decks together. But when the women went in, I noticed that there was one pattern and it was that it doesn't matter how many tactics you teach her, at the end of the day, if she doesn't feel like she's enough, if she doesn't feel confident, she never closes. And this was a, it was a core problem that I noticed. And I saw it in myself because on the outside, especially people would say to me, oh, you've been so accomplished. You've che-, and, and I would feel like I've checked off all these boxes, but I noticed the thing inside me was that there was an internal feeling of lack of confidence, lack of enoughness, where I'd still feel small walking into certain business situations and meetings. And I knew that was holding me back. And so in some ways it was a mirror and I saw that holding other women back. And so after SheWorks was acquired, I wanted to go into what I was truly, truly passionate about, but in many ways I was scared to. I was scared to go into the space of confidence and power because you can't really measure that. And I think we live in a society where it's, you know, if you can measure it, then it means something. But these intangible core skills for success, you know, the ability to speak up for yourself, the ability to believe you have value and worth, the ability to negotiate, to network, to walk into the room and take up space. These were the core skills I wanted to teach women. And that's the the mission of the GLOW which even if you think of the global league of women, you kind of imagine like superheroes. And it's it's within my, my mission is telling women you all have innate superpowers that you can tap into. Like the answer is not outside. It's not in getting... Uh, you know, a Harvard MBA or like spending more money on um, all these classes. It's like you already have power inside. And so The Glow is an educational media company that's helping women reclaim their power, redefine womanhood, and learn the core skills necessary for success. Well, let's dive into that because I can tell you from watching you on the stage at the I Make a Living Live event and then talking to other entrepreneurs afterwards and interviewing those who attended, I can tell you that 
so many times this idea of enoughness came up and that resonated so much for the entrepreneurs there. But how do you begin to cultivate that feeling of enoughness? Like you said, you get this feedback when you're out in the world, like you're not enough. Your ideas are not enough, especially as a woman, your voice is suppressed. How can you rise up and how can you glow up? Love your body, love your voice, and love your spirit. And the reason we start with body is because there is so much shame tied up in a woman's body, right? I think I, I don't I don't know a single woman who hasn't like criticized her body or like looked in the mirror and wanted to look away or gone on a diet of some sort. So I always think that to start, you have to be aware of your own mind and the own and your own critical thoughts that may be in many ways sabotaging you, but you're not even aware of it. So we start with things. Um, the first exercise on day one is be aware of the critical things you say to your body. And we have the women list that out. And then we flip the script and it's, okay, you know, you're, you're now becoming aware of this. Now, how do you fill in the blank and say, I love my body for X. I love my body because it can do Y. And we have to remind women, especially that like to remove the body shame after the awareness, you have to remember that your body is a miracle, right? Like we give life through our bodies. And it's it's just incredible that even when our hearts are beating, that our chest moves and we have thoughts and our brain can say, you know, put one foot in front of the other and it do, your body does that. And so a lot of what we're doing within um, how I train women is First, become aware of the critical things you say, because 90% of our thoughts are repetitive. Um, and we find that so much of it is negative because we've we've absorbed what society has told us about ourselves. And then you have to consciously flip the script. It's very innovative to coach people on how to be successful in business by getting into their bodies. This isn't something that we hear a lot. I wonder how much of this is inspired by your own story, being a Hall of Fame gymnast, and having to train your body at such a high level. And I imagine you had a lot of voices that were critical of the way you looked and how you did things with your body. How do you feel like you've integrated your gymnastics experience and the training that you went through into entrepreneurship? Well, I think that the most important thing I've learned from gymnastics that has translated to success in entrepreneurship is the the ability as a gymnast to fall down and to get back up again over and over and over again, that's really like, that's what I think is the key to being a successful entrepreneur. It's, you know, oftentimes I just see people and I'm like, they succeeded, yes, because there's always luck in timing and, you know, market forces and other factors. But it's a lot of times it's like, it's just because they got back up again and kept going. I don't know if I'm a big believer in luck. You know, I think you create your own luck and you've hit on something really important that resilience as an entrepreneur is crucial. And from the details of your story that I know, I heard that you missed qualifying for the 2008 Olympics by 0.25 points. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, that'd be the end, right? But you didn't let that be the end of your career. You didn't let that be the moment that knocked you down. Instead, you used it to get stronger and better, and then you came back to sweep the U.S. national championships. Mm -hmm. 
So how'd you do that, Lisa? How did you access that power? And there's that moment, right? Where you you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You do all that extra training. You could push harder and harder and harder. And maybe you still get the same outcome. Yeah. In many ways now I look back and I think like I'm really blessed to have experienced what I felt like was public shame and pain and humiliation at a young age because it gave me an opportunity to prove to myself that I had that power. And there there was really just something, I think it's an innate thing within me. It's that I, I don't quit when I'm down. And, and that was probably the, the like chip on my shoulder that drove me where I was like, I did not spend 10 years doing this to, to like quit because someone else gave me a score that said I couldn't go. And I, I think as part of that chip, it's like, I want, I want to prove that I'm worth it. Like I had to prove them wrong or something. It's like, I, I am a winner and watch me win. And so of course, there's no way to know what the outcome is. And um, this is another thing that I, I teach people. It's, you know, the typical thing is like, well, what if I fail? And what if it doesn't work? Or what if it goes wrong? It's always what if insert negative thing. And I didn't realize I was doing this back then, but I've, you know, I now have this model that I've created in my head, which is, well, what if you reverse that and said, what if it went right? Like, what if all this work did pay off? Like, and I think that's really the risk factor where you're like, I'm willing to do this because if, like, if the what if it went right scenario did happen, it would it would mean everything to me. And so I think I followed that instinct. And certainly that's been the uh, this driving instinct that's carried me through entrepreneurship as well, which is like even, even going through a lot of the things that I went through, the inevitable ups and downs. Um, I always, I think I've always been really optimistic. There's a quote I have in my room from Walt Disney and it says, uh, if you can dream it, you can do it. And I, I fully, especially after stepping into my power now, it's like, I feel like the world is just filled with possibility. And I, the only thing limiting me is my ability to dream. So I always try to push like, what if, what if, what if, and think of all the possibilities. It is so powerful when you go inside those moments of failure and think, man, I failed. It did not work the way that I envisioned it. And as an entrepreneur, I have lived it. I've been through canceled TV shows, contracts that aren't renewed, ineffective product launches. We have all experienced failure. But how do you come back from that? For me, I look at failure as an opportunity to innovate. That moment when we think of ourselves as a failure, it just requires a perspective shift. When something bad happens, I always ask myself, where's the lesson? So I asked Lisa what the lesson was for her when she didn't make the Olympic team. Like now I can look back at it a a decade separated from when that did happen. And it, it taught me that I'm a fighter. I mean, I guess I always kind of knew that. I always knew that I worked really hard. And I would always get compliments when I was younger, like, oh, Lisa worked so hard. And the coaches love me and teachers love me. Um, and 
I think I just, I proved to myself that I, I'm a warrior, I'm a fighter. And recently someone said to me, you know, you're a shogun. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> She's like, it's a, it's a Japanese warrior. And it's a specific kind of warrior that kind of, it's almost like you graduate up and a shogun is, um, you know, when a, when a warrior, a warrior prepares to go in and fight, but a shogun is so strong in his or her values that no one dares fight him or her. You are a powerful force, Lisa. <laughs> and having met you, I can see why you inspire that feeling in others. But you know, the road is not always easy. You started SheWorks in 2015 to be a networking and community resource for women to be successful, not just to create a community for women. There's a lot of groups like that, but to actually help them launch their businesses. And I read this statistic that women-led businesses receive as little as 2.2% of all venture capital funding. How has SheWorks been instrumental in changing the statistic? Well, there's a number of reasons why that statistic is there. Uh, one of the things is that 94% of the investor landscape is male. So inevitably, there are unconscious biases where just as people, we like to invest in other people that remind us of ourselves. So if if the majority of investors are men who have come from a certain school or a certain background, you know, it's uh, it's the same sort of nepotism that has prevailed throughout any powerful industry. And then, of course, there were just women who broke barriers, whereas early on, even like a company like Lola, who came in and they were, they have a female tampon uh, subscription company and investors would say like, well, is there a market for this? And of course... <laughs> And so, you know, 51% of the population, of course, there's a market. But even that question in and of itself, that like there's, it's reflective of other things where it's if women are creating products and services for women, that if you're going up to two male investors, the constant question is, well, is there a market for this? Or, oh, I'll ask my wife about it. Um, you know, maybe if she likes it, then maybe it's a thing. But you would never get that sort of question if you were coming in with a, you know, a male-oriented product or service. So there's that part, which is very difficult and will be very, um, it'll just take a very long time to change that side. And then there's the other side, which is there's there's more than enough women who are starting companies today. So it's not a pipeline problem. But I think it actually goes towards what we were talking about before, which is a lot of women don't have access to networks. They don't have access to the right skills and tactics. Um, they don't have access to the right mentors who have done this before. And I think the the big thing really is networks. So, um, you know, these female founders are not being invited to beers with the boys. And so how do you get your foot in the door when you aren't born in a rich family and you aren't born into these Silicon Valley circles. Whether you're a female entrepreneur or not, most people can relate to being an outsider from some circle that you want to get into. Yet in business, those circles can be the difference between launching big and fizzling out. And so what SheWorks really did was we brought the investors to the women. And so through our roundtables and through our events, the way we set up the room was always that the investor is here for you. 
a lot of times it's like the entrepreneurs are there for the investors. And I always made sure this, it, almost the power dynamic in many ways was flipped because it was like, if you're an investor and you're coming into our space, here's how it works. Our values are ambition, action, and altruism. Altru- altruism is a big part of it, of supporting each other, giving resources. And I think that's that's really where we started off. And, you know, as a result of what we were able to um, put together, we've had hundreds of women successfully raise as a result of meeting the right investors at SheWorks events. And with SheWorks, you grew it to a point where other people saw the value of what you were doing. Mm-hmm. It was acquired by Republic. And I'm sure there are a lot of people listening that are dreaming of that day. Like, I want to build something that other people would want to take under their umbrella. So how did you navigate that acquisition? For any entrepreneur, I think early on, you need to start thinking about what's your exit strategy, especially if you're building a certain type of company, right? That that may not be for all small business owners, but... Um, you know, for me, I had been working on SheWorks for a little over four years, and I I felt in my gut that I almost like felt like I it was time for me to move on because I was feeling this this like really instinctual side of myself that was saying like it's not about the tactics, it's about the these like core skills, and because I saw the transformation within myself. And um, what was happening was, you know, we were having so many events, we were getting so much press, and I started thinking about who were the people in my network that I had met over the course of the four years who I thought that our missions aligned and could be a good parent company for SheWorks. And Republic stood out to me, one, because I thought the CEO, Ken, is an incredible person. I think their mission is very much aligned with SheWorks in terms of their desire to democratize funding and especially give an alternative to venture funding through equity crowdfunding where non-accredited investors can come in um, and invest as little as $10. So um, even within their platform, uh, they have a... Um, I think it's like over something like over thirty percent of the companies that are funded are started by women, um, people of color, and it's it, it shows how their platform is actually successfully democratizing that funding. So, um, I I struck up a conversation with Ken, and you know we'd seen each other over a number of conferences and networking events, and we just started talking about. Uh, the mission alignment. And I think that's really key for any entrepreneur who's thinking about this. It's like it's a partnership, right? Like you're you're selling your child to uh, someone else. And you really need to think about like, what are their values? What is their vision for growing their company? Um, and what does does your mission align? And I think that was just really core for me in terms of Okay, let's talk about this first. And then as the conversation progressed, then we got into some of the other details. Being in the dating coaching business, I know that when a man makes big promises, you got to check his references. How does he treat his mom? Are there any skeletons in his closet that you should know about? Is he renting or buying? Lisa makes a good point here. In business, like in dating, you look for a partner who not only aligns with your mission, but has the right track record. So how are things different now? How have things evolved? You've become the founder and the CEO of a new venture, the Global League of Women, the GLOW. 
What do you hope for this next evolution of entrepreneurship for you? I see this as my life mission. Uh, I just, I mean, I'll say it right here. I'm either going to IPO or I'm going to get sold to Disney. <laughs> like Walt said, uh, you have to dream it. Put it into the universe. <laughs> yeah. Like that. that's what I see. I see that in my future. Um, like, and I think it's necessary because what I, what we're, what we're trying to do is redefine what it means to be a woman. And it, that's redefining womanhood, identity, what does power mean? What does it look like? When I'm saying redefine, it's like I want women to to automatically think those words about themselves. And that requires like literally changing the psyche of millions of people. And uh, even I think like five years ago, I had said, you know, my my mission is to fundamentally change the narrative of what's possible for women and girls. I, yeah, I see this as like, this is what I was put on the earth to do. So Lisa, that's yeah. powerful. What about for our male allies who are smart and sophisticated mm-hmm. enough to listen to this podcast? How can they create an environment for women in their companies to be able to thrive? Yeah, uh, it's a mission that both men and women should be a part of. Um, because it's it serves all of us. We're all born from a woman. And um, I think the first is really to listen. I, I think that to be a good listener is a skill that is so undervalued by our society because we value extroversion and whoever speaks the loudest and in like the powerful person like interrupts you and thinks their import their opinion is more important. And you know, women's voices, we've been taught to suppress them. We've been taught to say, like, not say what we mean or to please other people and to be polite. And we're we're hitting this really interesting inflection point in history where it's like women are saying what they mean and what they want to say. And that's that's a little like intimidating for for people. And I think it's but there's there's been so many incredible men who have supported me throughout this journey. And I think one thing they all do is that they they listen and they believe me. And that in and of itself, that support is like invaluable. And then the other thing is that they actively advocate. You know, they're not just like sitting on the sidelines. They are, when I say, hey, do you know any other incredible women who you think could benefit from Um, you know, some of our programs who would benefit from being in a powerful community of other women. And they're like, yeah, I know a lot of other women. And then they, they actively then share it with their female peers. And then they, they post stuff on their socials where they're like, I love the mission of the glow. And so they're, they're actively championing and advocating. And I think what's great is that they're okay. They're okay supporting that. Like it doesn't strip away their masculinity because they've realized like this is this is good for the world. There's something that you said that struck me a moment ago. You said that they believe you rather than saying they believe in you. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Um, I would say, yeah, you're, I would say there's both that they do believe in me and they believe me is that when I talk about my experiences. I think part of what we're doing now with The Glow is we're telling stories, right? We're telling stories through The Glow podcast, through the blog, through all the content we're putting out. And um, that content starts with me as the the voice of The Glow, where I'm sharing my personal experiences. 
And there aren't people who are saying, no way, that didn't happen to you. Which is what what people used to say, you know. Um, and that's why women became silent. And what the way that I always tell stories is that I don't purport that the lessons I learn or the experiences I go through are the things that you should or you need to go through or you I don't you don't even need to believe me but I'm just going to talk from the first person I perspective because this is what I experienced and um I have people who come back to me and they said that really touched me and um like I believe I believe the things you say I believe in what you're doing uh, and I want to support this for so long we've been told that you shouldn't bring your personal stories into the workplace you shouldn't talk about being a mother or, you know, your home life because we were told that that made us weak to share those things. And it seems like there's been a big sea change now. We look at our stories as power and we embrace that as the key to connecting with an audience and with investors and connecting to our peers. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's so much strength and power and vulnerability. And I am so thankful that I live in the time that is now that has embraced that. And, you know, on our podcast, we've had women who are successful executives and founders and investors and have, you know, big goals. And they've come on and talked openly about miscarriages and cheating and, um, you know, toxic relationships. I had a woman the other day and she coaches um, women in primarily their 40s to talk about aging and menopause and the silence around that and you know the 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 depression that ensues like I didn't even know uh what happens there because I realize like you know what happens to women in their 40s is kind of, the reason we don't have as many role models is because they start going silent there's like shame in in losing like quote unquote losing your beauty and you know not fitting into the norm and of youth and um, even bringing on like a diversity of age, right, in addition to ethnicity and um, sexuality and anything else is um, having older women come on and say like, this is what it feels like. And I never was able to speak my truth, but I'm learning now how to love myself and I'm proud to be the age that I am and I'm proud to stand up. And that's really inspiring to me too. Well, it's inspiring. Everything that you're doing with The Glow and with creating opportunities for women and men to work together and continuing to uplift female businesses. Before we go, I have to ask you about your favorite tips or tools. We always ask our guests, what has made a big difference in your life as an entrepreneur? I would say that, you know, just just thinking about my beginning of year hustle going into 2020 is that Try to have one ritual a day that is around like self-care and self-love. The one thing I always do is that I always wash my face before I go to bed. <laughs> this is the one thing I do all the time. And it is it is an act of self-care. But instead of just like splashing water in my face and cleanser and moisturize and like go to bed, um, I I stand there now just for like pause for an extra like 30 seconds and like look myself in the eye, um, like appreciate myself and, um, and that's, you know, say some nice things and then that's it. 
even if I can't fit in anything else, this is my time with me, the woman in the mirror, and like an appreciation for life. You can hustle as much as you want and like be a successful entrepreneur, but at the end of the day, it's like it's you and yourself. So you got to be willing to look yourself in the eye and take care of that person. Take in what Lisa just said. You have to be willing to look yourself in the eye and take care of that person. Especially as an entrepreneur who's managing so many things, you have to make rituals for yourself. Whether yours is washing your face or meditating or walking your dog, take a moment to nurture yourself today. Those small moments will inspire you to keep trying. Here are some of the things that I learned from Lisa today. Failure is a lesson. You get knocked down, but you get up again, and it's never going to keep you down. At least, not if you want to come back a champion. For women to be truly successful, we need men to believe us and believe in us. We're all in this together. Get yourself in the right circles so you can be competitive. And, as Walt Disney tells Lisa every day, if you dream it, you can do it. Don't be afraid to aim high. Make sure to visit theglow.org to become a part of their community and subscribe to the Global League of Women podcast. Are you curious about FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams? If so, let FreshBooks show you how to save hours on accounting paperwork and get your finances organized. Use our special link. It's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L and you'll get an exclusive offer. That's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Paco Erzmendi is our director and producer. And I'm Damona Hoffman, your host and producer. If you want to chat with me about relationships or business or anything in between, you can find me at Damona Hoffman on all the socials or at DamonaHoffman.com. Also, you can come and meet me and the team at an I Make a Living live event. It's a blast, and I'd love to see you there. You can go to imakealiving.com to see when we'll be in a city near you. And remember to take care of yourself, because it's your business. See you next week.